Welcome to the Joseph Wells Podcast, where the guests are unique, but the goal is the same, improving our lives by standing on the shoulders of giants. My guest today is Peter Kang. Peter is the co-founder of Barrel, a creative and digital marketing agency. He writes a personal blog where he meticulously documents his habits, his investments, and his thoughts on running a digital agency. In this conversation, Peter and I discussed habits, mental models, reading, investing, the origin story of Barrel, and much more. Please remember that neither Peter nor myself are investment professionals, and everything in this conversation is for informational purposes only. Please do your own research before investing. Before we get to the show, I have one quick ask. If you enjoy this episode, please sign up for my email list. Jump over to josephcwells.com to sign up and you'll receive one email from me every Friday with the best content to enjoy over the weekend. All right, that's enough from me. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Peter Kang. Peter, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, man. I want to jump right in and start talking about your habits because when I first started reading your writing, which was probably about a year ago now, I was most drawn to your pieces on your habits. So when did you start seriously tracking habits and what prompted you to start doing that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think probably um, almost six years ago. So like 2015, I remember that's when I you know, got this uh, thought in my head that, hey, like good habits equals, you know, good outcomes. Um, and, and this is you know, actually... I think this is a little bit before uh, I read, I had read James Clear's um, Atomic Habits, mm. but, you know, before then, like I, I had been kind of uh, thinking a lot about the, this concept of uh, micro habits, you know, it, and forget us, uh, you know, where I had read some of these things. I think uh, there, there are a few uh, different books out there. There's a book about Kaizen, you know, the, the kind of continuous improvement uh, by like, you know, making your habits, uh, you know, adopting these incremental habits that made you better and better. Um, so anyway, I've been experimenting on like, hey, like how do I get myself to adopt, you know, small behavior changes that, you know, over time can compound. And so, you know, I thought a lot about those things. And over time, um, it, it became like an obsession of sorts where I, I was thinking about, hey, like, you know, across my different um, areas of life. Uh, and, and really, I broke it into like, you know, fitness, um, diet, you know, kind of the mind, uh, as well as like relationship uh, and other things. So I had these like different buckets that I would then um, look at, like how I was behaving in each and then come up with, you know, experiments to do every year. And so from that, um, you know, the, the outcome was really this uh, year in review of habits that I put on my blog. So I always go, uh, you know, point, starting 2015, I did a 2015 habits that stuck. And so then I can look back on the year and look at the different experiments I ran and see which ones actually, you know, panned out and were sticky and others that, you know, might've been okay for a few months or whatever, but for some other reason, um, you know, poor design, usually uh, they didn't stick. So that's, that's the genesis of it. And then, you know, it just kind of built, built on itself over the years and, you know, just published the, the one for 2020 um, some weeks ago. Yeah, I just read that one. It was good. And I, I, I love reading through these. And I've found that when I publish stuff like this, they tend to be my most popular pieces, which I think is kind of 
weird because it's like such a personal thing. Uh, why do you think that is? Do you notice the same thing on your blog? Yeah, totally. I, you know, people, um, I always get feedback from readers about it. Um, and, you know, I think that it's the specificity of it because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you read these articles uh, from, you know, blogs or just different uh, magazines or whatever it might be. And, and they're very general. They're like, hey, you know, like it's, it's a lot of platitudes and, you know, mm. kind of maxims and stuff. But when, when it gets into nitty gritty and it's like, hey, like I, you know, this, I did, um, you know, 30 minutes of reading, deep reading, like X number of times or, you know, in my workouts. And sometimes, you know, in some of my reports, I'll go into like, okay, I did, you know, I worked out 50 times uh, last quarter. And of that, you know, uh, 20 of those workouts were yoga exercises and the others were you know strength and whatever and i think that that specificity helps people relate and and imagine you know how they might um log their uh, efforts so i think it's a lot of kind of that granularity that people uh, respond to yeah i i really like looking into that too and i've been impressed by you know going through your articles and seeing like you said i did yoga 20 times or i did this many strength workouts or i i walked this many steps it's really cool to see it tracked in that detail what i've found is when i try to track things that closely the actual tracking aspect of it becomes a little bit overwhelming and like kind of takes away from what i'm actually trying to accomplish have you felt that like how do you how do you track so closely without letting it take away from the experience yeah, no, um, I think it, it took some time. And, you know, I think it, it, there were a number of um, iterations over the years, because I remember, like, even back in, like, 2011, 2012, like, this is like almost a decade ago, um, I used to, you know, have a scoring system where I would give myself points for, like, you know, having done X number of push-ups and it was like super granular but wow. quickly over after a couple months I was like wow the 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 tracking really sucks and it's it's tough um and then you know just kind of gave up uh nowadays it's um you know it's almost like journaling now um mm. so the way I think about um you know tracking is at the end of the day um and this is like you know right before you know as I start to wind down you know maybe it's like 10 o'clock or so, um, I'll, I'll always, uh, visit my daily habit tracker, um, which is in a Google sheets, uh, and, and then I'll just reflect on the day. So, you know, and, and it's been a good habit of like, okay, like, you know, how productive was today, you know, through the lens of habits. And then, you know, and the more I ritualize it, the, the easier it's been to keep up with it. And, and, you know, rarely does a day go by without me, um, forgetting to visit the sheet. And it's, it's the same way with like having a journal in the morning mm. or, you know, I'll jot down some thoughts and, and there's like a ritual around that too. Like when I have my morning coffee, you know, I, you know, and I, I've, I've finished playing with my son in the morning and then like kind of can move into that like coffee journal right before I get ready for work. It's like, it's the same concept at night with the habits. And then that's when I log, okay, did I get, you know, my workout in? did I get, um, you know, my reading or writing in? and, and I can just mark it then. So you've made a habit of tracking your habits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yep. Um, I, I like this idea that Jocko Willing talks about of discipline equals freedom, right? And, and people who are not like you and I, uh, as disciplined in tracking their habits or like working towards new goals and that kind of stuff, look at these things and say like, I wouldn't want to live like that. It's too, it's too rigid. 
but I imagine that your life is pretty routine and you feel pretty good because of it. Right. Can you speak to that? Like discipline equals freedom kind of aspect. Yeah, totally. Um, it's, it's almost like, uh, I mean, and you know, one thing is, uh, you know, looking back on my twenties, I wasn't like this. So, you know, right now, as we're speaking, I'm almost 38 years old and, you know, thinking about how life was like in my twenties, it was very, you know, I, the, the structure was really lacking there. And, and, um, you know, there was such inertia, like when I wanted to do something, it's like, it felt monumental, the effort. Mm. And, and so it's very hard to, you know, actually gain momentum to do stuff or build, uh, you know, a, a regular routine around things. Um, and, and I think that was a lack of uh, discipline. And um, in, in many ways, just having, um, yeah, having the discipline, it's, it's, it's almost autopilot, right? It, like we, you know, everything, you know, I don't have to think about it because there's been a lot of structure built out, a lot of strategy around how to, you know, uh, manage my time. And, and so in, in there, with that, I can actually, you know, dedicate some brain power to thinking about, oh, when I do have open pockets of time, you know, maximizing that, being creative with how I spend the time there outside of, you know, the stuff that's already been planned. Um, so in many ways, it's like, it, it, it's almost like freeing in the sense of it gives you that extra kind of like kind of energy and like, you know, the, the ability to go deeper into, hey, like, how, how can I make the most of, you know, my time uh, with, you know, as, as valuable as time is? It frees up a lot of mental space. I think that's, you know, one of the most important things. I was reading yesterday an article from James Clear about entropy because I've been trying to kind of go through some different mental models and help some of the stuff stick in my head. And I think that really ties into what we're talking about because this idea of entropy is that everything in life moves towards disorder, right? So if you don't have systems and processes, you're house becomes a mess. There's just shit everywhere. Like you become fat and out of shape. Your mind becomes scattered because you don't have things to kind of rein it in. So being disciplined and tracking your habits prevents this entropy from kind of creeping in everywhere. Still going to creep in in some places because that's just how life works, right? But um, it's, I think that's a very important mental model for people to solidify. Yeah, you know, I'll say one thing to that because you know, I'm actually... <clears throat> You know, when you walk into, uh, you know, our, our apartment and, and see my desk space, it's pretty messy um, for the most part. And, you know, th there's um, like, it is funny because I think this concept of entropy, um, you can be uh, very strategic about where you focus, uh, you know, organization uh, in life too. So there are other aspects of like life that I'm like, you know, I've accepted some <laughs> degree of entropy and go hey like i'll you know maybe i'll get to it once a week you know like just like there's like you know dirty clothes on the floor and all that stuff and it's like hey that's a once a week thing i'm not going to sweat it um it's not going to be it's not, not going to get in the way of you know doing things but then other stuff i'll be like you know super meticulous like the way i might handle spreadsheets or formatting mm -hmm. on things you know the, the, that's going to get a lot more attention to me it's like the 80-20 rule. You can't optimize everything, but you should find those 20% of things that returns the 80% of results and optimize the hell out of those things. Back to habits. What habit has been the hardest for you to build, but the most beneficial once you did? Oh, um, I definitely think um, it's got to be writing. Mm -hmm. So 
you know, the way I approached writing for a long time was, you know, uh, like have a topic, you know, just think about it and then uh, carve out, you know, two, three, four hour block and then just try to power through in that block. And, um, and you know, the way that I might approach that is, hey, like if the inspiration isn't there or like the, uh, you know, the the motivation or the drive isn't there to finish that piece, then too bad, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Now, like in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that's so silly. Um, and, you know, part of, and I, you know, the, the big lesson, of course, um, of all this is like, you know, if you have a system to help facilitate good, uh, facilitate the writing process, you know, you can be more prolific. Uh, and that was one of the you know, great lessons I took away from you know, taking the rite of passage uh, mm. course. Uh, and you know, just really embracing the, the systematic approach to like, you know, gathering content, um, you know, processing, you know, notes from, you know, what we've read as well as uh, putting in the, you know, put, like just putting stuff out there, you know, whether in the form of tweets or, you know, just jotting down notes and continuing to massage it and then, you know, getting on a rhythm as well with like a, a newsletter, a personal newsletter, and then using that as the basis to create content to share um, and, and having some uh, public accountability around it all that stuff. So it, it took a while to get there. Um, but really, like once that flywheel started, then, you know, it, it's, it's been a lot easier to regularly publish like a blog post every couple of weeks. And then, you know, just have if there's an idea, then I know with the process of like putting in daily writing, I can get it to a, a, a published piece, you know, uh, in, in a reasonable amount of time. Do you write every day? I try. Um, I, I'd say it's, it's like probably five to six days a week. So, you know, I might give myself a break, like a Friday night. I might be like, oh, you know what? <laughs> it's been a long week. Let's just hang back and, and chill. Um, uh, but yeah, that, that's, it's, it's really, um, the threshold is low. And I only, I only ask myself to sit down uh, and, you know, write for 15 minutes. Uh, and usually it'll, sometimes it'll go for an hour plus. Uh, it's just about clearing that 15 minute threshold. So are those sessions like strictly dedicated to writing that you hope to publish at some point, or is that journaling as well? Um, so it doesn't count journaling. That's a separate, um, you know, time for uh, an activity in my mind. Yeah. It's mainly for stuff I'll publish. Uh, and yeah, I would say, cause I also spend a ton of time writing, you know, for, uh, for work, for business, you know, there's always memos and, um, you know, Kind of different communications of teams, so I don't I don't count any of those uh, in it. This is strictly like personal writing that will most likely be published on my blog. Okay, Peter, where do you where do you draw motivation from? Yeah, um, I'd say it's well, part of it is you know thinking about life, um, you know, and and seeing life as this, you know, this kind of precious and, you know, um, this one very valuable thing that we have. Uh, and, and it's a journey um, that, you know, we, we need to really cherish. So you know, what motivates me is, hey, like, you know, I only got one shot at this, you know, what, how can I make the most of it? How can I, you know, learn as much as I can? How can I, you know, uh, develop meaningful relationships? Um, and how can I, you know, just continue to try to be the best version of myself. Um, and I think every day that's been super motivating um, for me. And 
yeah, that that hasn't that that once I kind of got to that um, concept, especially in my 30s, like it's been very valuable to reflect on it each day. So is that kind of like the idea of memento mori? Like your time here is finite. You never know when yeah. you're going to leave. So make the most of it. Um, yeah, definitely that uh, for sure. Um, and and it's also you know just this idea of like. Um, and I think Warren Buffett has like this inner scorecard thing too, of like, you know, you always want to, uh, you know, outcompete yourself and continue to, you know, be better than you were the day before um, and, and, you know, continue to expand on your PR and things like that. That's what gets me going. If I'm measuring something, the next time I measure it better be better than the last time that right. I did. <laughs> so you have a couple really good pieces on your operating rules. Which of those rules have you found to be most valuable? Yeah, you know, I, I'd say it's probably um, has to do with like the patience. Um, so I think that was from my um, first one. Um, let's see, I think, yeah, and, and you know, maybe it's, um, yeah, I think it was from the operating, volume, uh, operating rules volume one where I talk about, you know, just not, um, not getting worked up, right? And, mm. and I think um, it has a lot to do with like, uh, I mean, and that was really reflecting on um, my my journey of like just becoming more of a, a mature adult, and and a lot of it is, hey, like you know, they're having perspective in life where it's like, hey, like don't let the little things ruffle you up, you know, and just don't get you know easily uh, angered. Um, don't um, let emotions get in the way where you know um, you know rational thinking would uh, easily resolve things. And I think uh, that has been super helpful in, you know, giving me a clear mind and, and, you know, especially in high pressure, high stress situations at work, um, or even, you know, as a parent or, you know, just, uh, uh just the daily course of life, it, it's, it's been immensely useful. Cause then once you, once I've been able to accept that, then I, I've been able to expand my mind into other things. How old were you when you think you mastered that? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I think um, it's probably early 30s. Like, you know, it's probably, it was, I'd say, um, I can distinctly remember. And I think part of it had to do with like when I started really um, uh, running uh, as well. Cause, uh, yeah, like I had, you know, I, I grew up like, I was always like a, a sprinter in my mind. So, you know, and, high school, I ran track, played football, and like, just always was like, oh, you know, I only do short distances, and you know, I, I don't, I don't do that long distance stuff, but then, um, you know, after you know, something, I just, I just wanted to give it a try, uh, in my 30s, I was like, hey, like, this is, you know, I'm not playing these high, you know, kind of high impact sports anymore, but I, I'd love to stay fit, and um, I, when I took up running, the one thing that was nice about running is, you know, you, there's, there's a degree of like kind of patience you built um, and the, this idea and, and with the discipline too, you know, once you kind of commit to training for like a half marathon or even a marathon, you know, and you know, you know this for sure. You know? <laughs> uh, but it's like, you know, I think um, going out, um, lacing up and then, you know, you putting your mind in a way, there's some discomforts early on when you're, you know, trying to shake off that rust and, and then, um, there's, it's, it's really, you realize, Hey, there's no reason to get like flustered or anything. You just have to accept things and then 
once you kind of once you get into the groove you you actually forget and then you're you're in kind of that flow state of running which feels awesome and i think that repetition um really helped uh you know just kind of bring some perspective to to work work life you know and other interactions where it's like hey let's not you know there's going to be little bumps and other kinds of discomforts along the way but don't let that you know throw you off like just just keep going and, and keep an even keel that's so cool that something like running, which is seemingly unrelated, and you started, I'm sure, without the intention to improve your patients, had that like kind of secondary effect. I really like that. One of my favorite operating rules on your list is uh, about reading. You say how you read is more important than how much you read. And looking through your reading list, you read a lot. <laughs> I think you read at least twice as much as I do. You get about 50 books a year on there. I'm always torn on this topic. I don't know if I want to read more or if I want to read more deeply. Um, so I'm interested in your thoughts. How are you adjusting your reading kind of based on this rule? Yeah. Um, so this is actually a good, a good time to talk about, you know, a, a topic that I've been you know, rolling my head for a bit. Um, it, a good heart's law. And, you know, yeah. it's the, <laughs> right. And I think, uh, you know, that the, once um, something that, you know, um, get, like a metric uh, becomes uh, the target, it, it ceases to be a good measure. So yeah, something like yep. that, right? like good. Yeah. Yeah. And so with, um, th there was a point where, you know, when I started the list, um, the intention of keeping track of what I read was really to just give me a chance to um, go back and be like, all right, like, that's what I read. And I, I mm. can at least, it, it's just a, a good inventory catalog. And, and um and it's nice but over time as i kind of set goals for myself i want to read x amount of books um like <laughs> the subconsciously you know i i saw myself trying to win like game it and trying to do yeah. better I'm like, and you know would even like cheat in some ways like read skinnier books or like <laughs> kind of breeze you know it's like it's like you want to get to the number and and you know, I caught myself with that. And I was like, oh, like, like, what am I doing this for? Like, just to be like, hey, I read, you know, I read 40 something books this year, like, who cares? Like, that's not, what's the benefit ultimately to me for that? And so, you know, it, it really set me um, on a path to re-examine how I read um, and the types of books I read and, and really um, to, to be more qualitative about, um, you know, how I read. And so the um, in many ways, like I, I still want to be varied and I still want to be, you know, I still want to get through a lot of books. I think that's important to, you know, get, give myself the opportunity to um, consume a lot of different, um, uh, you know, types of uh, writing. Um, at, at the same time, you know, when I, uh, when I take on a book, especially one that's uh, a bit more dense or, you know, it has a lot of things that I want to digest more deeply. Um, I want to take my time with it and uh, get as much out of it as possible. So, you know, what I'll do is, you know, instead of kind of reading it um, passively on, on my Kindle and then, um, you know, just highlighting some stuff and then coming back to it later, uh, what I'll do now is, uh, you know, have my Kindle and then either, a, you know, a notepad or, or my laptop and take really active notes. Mm. Um, and you know, it's at first it was a really hard uh, habit to develop because it, it was like, oh, this feels like work. Yeah. Then, you know, it's not, and it, it's a little bit draining, um, to be honest, but uh, 
once I kind of got the momentum out of it, I was like, holy cow, like, you know, this idea of um, taking, you know, reading something and then writing it in, um, in my own words, and then adding some uh, thoughts that, you know, might be relevant to myself. So I might be like, oh, uh, you know, with this little piece on, you know, like organizational structure, like how am I thinking about it at work? And I might, I might jot that down. And so all of a sudden, it's contextualized for me. And then when yeah. I refer back on it, it was a much richer reading experience as a result. So uh, and I, got, I learned a lot, of, um, a lot of this from uh, having read um, How to uh, Take uh, Smart Notes, I think that's what it's called, uh, okay. the, the book by Stonke uh, or Ren, I think it's a German dude. Um, but um, that, that was really um, eye-opening for me because I was like, okay, like, there, there's, there's a way to get way more out of a book than I had previously been doing. And, and, and so, you know, I, like at the, towards the end of last year, there was a book that I revisited um, from a few years ago, reread it in that fashion. And oh my goodness, it was like a totally different experience. And also the fact that in between that time, I had read a lot of other books sure. too. So there's like that compounding aspect of, oh, I remember, you know, having read about this concept from another book. So I'm thinking a lot about this because, like I said, I don't really know where I fall on it. And I'm experimenting with a few different things, kind of like you are. So if I'm reading a book, like right now, I'm reading Rocket Men by Robert Curson. So that's like, you know, very detailed. There are a lot of, I think, good anecdotes I could pull out of there and use in my writing. And it's like a very chronological story with like very main points in it. So as I'm reading that, I'll have a pencil in my hand and I'll underline important stuff, good quotes, anecdotes that I like. And then at the end of every chapter, I'll write like four or five bullets of what happened in the chapter. And then when I'm done with the book, I go into Evernote and kind of transfer everything into Evernote and try to color code it. Like this is ideally what happens. It doesn't always get there because you run out of time, right? But, and then at the same time, occasionally I'll be reading another book. Like I just finished Travels with Charlie in Search of America which is like this book by John Steinbeck about his three-month cross-country road trip with his dog in the 1960s. So something like that, I'm not really trying to learn as much from it. And it's like more of my enjoyment book. So I can just kind of cruise through it. Because for me, and I'm sure for you as well, reading is really enjoyable. And I don't want it to always feel like work. So mm -hmm. But there are also things that I can take from that book, right? Like there are a lot of good quotes. And it's one of those books that I think helps me build my mental map. So for example, there was, he talks about this one part where he's in New Orleans and it's the early sixties and he went there specifically to see, um, what was called the cheerleaders. And this was right around the time that schools were being desegregated. And there were this group of white women who would stand outside the schools as the black children showed up and kind of just like shout nasty things at them. And he talks about wanting to go to see this because like he almost didn't really believe that it was happening and he kind of wanted to see this evil. So he goes and he sees it and it's in fact as, as bad as he heard that it was, but I had never heard about that. Right. And it's like one of those things that just gives me another piece of perspective to add to my mental map for when I'm making decisions or talking to people or whatever. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about reading right now. Um, a lot in terms of building a mental map and then also in terms of like, how can I tactically use this information? And I think, you know, everyone has, you know, the, a particular way to um, really digest and um, remember uh, and, and recall uh, the things that they've read. And, and 
I think what matters is really you know, finding that finding the the stack of you know tools and habits and you know just the uh, the routines that are sustainable for for you. And I think that's that's been kind of the key learning for me because I. I I certainly don't, you know, expect others to do exactly what I do. And then and then there's other, there are others who I'm like, wow, like that's a very sophisticated system. They're using, you know, uh, some interesting tools and doing some really cool stuff. But, you know, that's just overkill for me now. And maybe, mm-hmm. you know, it's something I can work with. Yeah, for sure. Every, every system is different and uh, unique to the user. So Peter, what did you major in in college? And then what did you do for work after graduation? Yeah, so so I went to um, Columbia University. Um, went to the the college there, and um, I majored in film and in history. So it was a double major, um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time um, at Columbia. Uh, and I think uh, I you know it wasn't the um, it wasn't uh, actually the the intent, but uh, you know one one thing was um yeah i had really wanted to go into advertising actually toward you know towards uh kind of you know when i was thinking about my junior year um you know going to senior but i, I actually didn't get into any uh, uh any advertising internships as, mm-hmm. as hard as i tried to apply um and uh but what happened was um i actually got an internship at the nfl um of all places that at, at, at nfl's uh, uh headquarters and uh you know it was it was like the it was like a strange um, situation because I got into the HR department of all the, <laughs> for the internship program. And I'm like, hmm. But the reason they chose me was, um, you know, the HR department was trying to put together a, uh, a uh, intranet, like a, you know, like a web, web portal for their, uh, for the NFL headquarters employees. Um, and uh, so it's a league office, right? Um, and um, <laughs> the, they were like, hey, like maybe you can kind of, you know, uh, help in this effort. So, and then I go there, and then, um, you know, it was it was really cool, like just being, uh, you know, part of the part of the actions there. And um, I actually ended up being like basically the the UX designer slash the um, uh, the project manager of wow. like this HR um, portal. And you know, I think. Uh, I didn't, you know, it was, it was like, I was just trying to be eager and like, just trying to push the project forward. So I would just like spend late nights, like designing stuff and then just like bring it to the office and show people and they'd be like, Oh my God, like this would be awesome to make. And it actually ended up putting pressure on it to like make it. Uh, and you know, the kind of the crowning um, moment of that uh, experience was like getting a personal letter from the commissioner. Oh, wow. It was, it was Paul Tagliabue at the time. Um, and he was like, hey, like, Peter, I heard you did this thing. And, you know, uh, you know, really appreciate all the work you put into it. That was really cool. Um, <laughs> that is cool. And then, yeah, it was great. And, and so, um, you know, that really set off. And, and, you know, the folks, and I had some mentors there uh, when I was at NFL. And, and you know, uh, one, of the, one of the mentors there, uh, you know, she really turned me in, uh, onto the idea of like, hey, you might want to like, you know, you're smart. You go, you go to a good school. Like, why don't you go into investment banking? <laughs> she's like i did that and like you know it was a good foundation for all the stuff i've done afterwards and i was like oh cool um and you know lo and behold it's like all my uh classmates were trying to go to do the same thing um so you know i, I kind of got into the jumped into the fold and you know felt particularly at a disadvantage because you know i hadn't done any internships in in finance 
and here I was like going up against all my, you know, uh, Columbia kind of, uh, you know, Columbia peers as well as, you know, this is, it's all the Ivy League, you know, um, uh, you know, grads or undergrads trying to get into, you know, the, the bulge bracket firms at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, going there and, and I was able to um, really like just, it almost feels like I was just kind of luckily able to squeeze myself through and, and get some of these interviews. And, and I ended up getting an offer from Lehman Brothers. And so that was where I ended up. Um, and this is obviously pre <laughs> great financial crisis. Uh, but yeah, that's, that was my first job out of school was uh, got, you know, knew nothing about, you know, never took an econ class, knew nothing about finance really, but, you know, um, they're looking for people who can learn quickly. Um, and so ended up, uh, taking, uh, you know, ending up in a group called CDO banking. So no idea what that was. Um, it was, and at the time, you know, there was, this was supposedly one of the hottest groups uh, that was growing uh, fast and generating, you know, fees for, for the firm. Um, and I would learn, you know, CDOs are collateralized debt obligations and, you know, all the stuff with mortgages. And you know, <laughs> years later, when I'm watching uh, the big short, I'm like, ah. Oh, Yes, I had a hand in, um, you know, in a lot Jeez. of the things that came out of that. But um, yeah, that's that's where I ended up. Uh, it was, yeah, it was all. It was. I only stayed there for a year, so I, you know, I, I joined in '05 after graduation and stayed through to '06. And you know, the day I received my bonus, or the day the bonus hit the bank account, I, I went in and, and and quit on the spot and just said, "Hey, like I'm out." And and it, I had done all the groundwork. Uh, prior to, to kind of, you know, make sure the transition was smooth. And then it was, all I had to do was say, Hey, I like, I don't need to give two weeks. I already <laughs> prepped this moment. Can I just walk out today? <laughs> and they were like, and my, uh, the managing director there was like, Oh, really? Okay. And you know, I, it was, it was structured in a way that like, I had never really spoken to the managing director until that day. And at that point he was like, oh, okay, if you say everything's good, cool. Like, you know, it's the HR and I'm sure they'll take care of you. So. Why did you, story. why did you leave like that? It was it that bad? No, no. So, you know, I, I'd say the experience was, was invaluable. And, you know, I still have some uh, really close friends from, you know, the, the time I spent there. Um, it, it was, it was more, um, so, you know, the, actually this has more to do with the story of the uh, founding barrel, actually, uh, mm. why I left. It was, you know, uh, even, even prior to taking this job at Lehman Brothers, um, I'd always known that, you know, I, I wanted to start a company. Um, and, and so just to backtrack, so in college, um, you know, I met, um, met my co-founder, Sewook. Um, uh, he was uh, a couple of years younger than me. Um, so, you know, uh, I was a junior and he was a freshman when we met. And, and we were part of a, um, a cultural uh, students organization, uh, the Korean Students Association. And so I was, I was actually the president of that club. Um, and, you know, one thing that um, I saw KSA as a platform to uh, really you know, make um, you know interesting experiences and and do more than you know a cultural club uh, typically did, which you know you do a few events, you like showcase some food and you have like a, a, a some shows around the culture. Um, I was like, hey, like how how could we do something huge like you know um, in terms of you know if we brand it well, if we make it accessible, and if we really lean to the fact that, you know, Korean culture, it's, it's, you know, it was especially, even then it was like, you know, there was a global appeal to it, you know, the, with, with uh, the cuisine and also the music and all those things. And it's like, how do we kind of really uh, lean into that and make it 
make it this uh, uh, opportunity to bring people together, um, you know, even outside of, of, our, uh, of our ethnic group. Um, and so um, this is where like all of the, like my web skills, like branding and like, you know, design all those things that like I had been interested in on the side and, and since I was young, like came to play. Um, and then Seewook, uh, he had actually, <laughs> was amazing because he knew how to code websites. And like the two of us were just kind of like nerd out and we, we, really um, use our, you know, this cultural club as a vehicle to like just, you know, make cool stuff. We would just mm. make all these cool like campaigns and like website, uh, you know, experiences and, and things that would just really get people hyped up on, on the events. And, and we did really, uh, you know, it, it was a really cool um, experience. And, and just through that experience, I, you know, the two of us became really close friends. And, you know, one thing that we talked about was, hey, let's continue working on stuff together beyond this club. Uh, and, and we ended up, uh, you know, doing some different ventures together. We had a little um, side hustle called uh, Campus Picks. So this was in the era of digital cameras where people would take their cannons and take photos and stuff. And then, you know, at the time, um, my, my father actually had a, uh, a one hour photo store uh, in the East Village. And he had, he had a machine that could take like the flat, the, the, um, the memory card from a, a digital camera and then um, print um, uh, photos, like actual photos. Uh, so what we would do is um, actually I set up a website where people could then, um, you know, read the instructions uh, and then fill out a form. And then we had AOL IM instant messenger back then. I would, I would keep a campus picks one open and people could just send their files to that. Uh, okay. <laughs> so then, and then, and then it would like save to a folder based on who sent it. And then each week I would just uh, put that on a USB drive. And then, you know, myself or Seewook would just go visit my parents down in East Village, print it up, and then we deliver it to people's campus, uh, you know, their, their dorm rooms. And that was like our little business. And, you know, like <laughs> spring break was when we made all our money and, you know, people come back from there, they have vacation photos and we deliver photos and we, you know, like put uh, posters everywhere. So it was like a taste of, you know, being entrepreneurs and, you know, just trying to uh, do a little business. But it, we just had so much fun, you know, this was like, We'd rather be doing this than schoolwork for sure, but it was just a lot of fun. Um, so that, you know, that along with like, we would just do websites for clubs and, you know, like artists and book authors and whoever else would pay us to just make money on the side. And, we just, you know, we agreed, like we promised each other almost like a pact, like, hey, you know, like at some point we'll start a business together and that's what we'll do, you know, like we'll just work together. So, so that was always in the back of my mind. And even throughout my experience at Lehman Brothers, um, this every Friday, like, so, you know, uh, especially the last um, six months on the job, like every Friday night, remember, say we was still in school. Um, we'd meet at my apartment in Midtown. Uh, it was like, you know, getting out early on Friday was like eight, nine o'clock. Mm -hmm. you know, that was like the banking hours. So we meet there at, at my place. Um, I use all the, the seamless credits we get, like from, uh, from Lehman and then use that to like basically buy like groceries from like a deli for the, for the whole weekend. So we'd have like food and drinks all stacked up. And then, um, and then we just work on freelance projects together. Like oh, wow. we, we just make websites and we did, and we would basically the Friday night session would be like from 9 PM till 6 AM. We just all nighter every Friday night, just all nighters. And then just, and then, you know, say we could just go back uh, to campus and I, you know, I just sleep the rest of the day. And then uh, we, we did that continually and just it was just fun and we're just like hey uh 
let's just land clients. And, you know, I, I would even, um, we'd even have like client meetings like 8 a.m. before I had to go to work. <laughs> so by the time I quit, we actually, you know, we're getting very serious about, hey, let's incorporate, let's make sure, um, you know, this is a real business. And then, and then the, the plan was, hey, you, you know, you finish school because uh, af even after uh, I quit, uh, you, you still have one more year of school. So they would, why don't you graduate? I'll, I'll continue, you know, trying to grow barrel, you know, out of my apartment and then see what happens. And so that, that was kind of the genesis of how barrel started. And we were like, what are we going to do? And we're like, let's just do what we enjoy doing, which is making websites. And so that's how it really started. So it was like a combination of websites and branding. And, and that's how we got going. That's so cool, man. What a great story. So you've been at barrel ever since then, obviously, and it's, it's a digital agency. Now, every time I hear that term, I'm like, what the hell is a digital agency? Can you explain that in like layman's terms? Yeah, it, I'd be more specific to what we do. Um, so uh, the, the, the main thing, and I'd say the bread and butter of our business is, is uh, you know, designing and developing websites for our clients. So that's a big part of it. And, and also just a lot of the work that ha uh, goes um, with websites, such as uh, you know, setting up the email marketing um, mm. functions of the site, uh, the, you know, like the automation stuff, uh, you know, um, as well as uh, just integrating with other platforms that clients might need, you know, if they have, uh, let's say, uh, you know, some kind of uh, fulfillment provider that they need to connect uh, with Shopify or like a reviews platform that needs to go in. And, and it's really configuring a lot of the, the, the technology side of it. And then um, a lot of it, uh, and then also a lot of the front end stuff, like, you know, what the graphics are going to be on the website, the content, um, as well as, you know, even uh, in, in many cases, we'll, we'll do the branding as well for the client too. So it's all encompassed there. We're, basically, you know, it's called digital agency because it's focused mainly on the di stuff that uh, is, lives digitally, you know, online um, mm. in the form of, you know, web or, or some kind of maybe social content, things like that. So um, that's, that's where we're mainly focused. And now we've, we've expanded some to also include things like, you know, we'll uh, help manage paid marketing campaigns uh, like on Facebook and Instagram for clients. Um, and then we'll also do things like customer research and, and do, you know, kind of things to, to help clients better understand, you know, what, 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 how customers are perceiving the brand, things like that. So most of the skills that you use every day, were they skills that you just built through trial and error? Yeah. Um, well, so I think um, maybe the skills I use every day have also evolved as the company has changed sure. too. Yeah. So I, I'd say, um, you know, uh, in the beginning, and it, one analogy I like to think about is like uh, the the kind of like player, um, coach, like GM owner um, progression um, of it. So, you know, when we were first starting uh, Barrel, so Seok and I were very much like the players, uh, like the two of us, you know, made every site, designed every pixel of everything. And then, you know, like project managed everything. I took every call and email. Um, and then you know, as we grew, we became like player coaches. So like, we're still playing, but we're also like trying to coach on the side. Um, and then and eventually like became more of that coaching, you know, like, Hey, let's like, you know, give the assignments out and then, you know, oversee and make sure they're good. And then, and then, um, you know, as, as we kind of found our footing as a business and things like that, then we can move more into like that GM box of like, okay, now we make sure the coaches are good and, and take care of them and then make sure the, you know, we, we um, help 
put in the infrastructure for good like talent to to come in you know just all the personnel is good the, the salary cap is all um you know set up in a way that's good uh that that's kind of where we operate there and then um you know kind of pushing into that owner box of like then you'll receive the gm and, and the rest of everything and, and, and come in for like the key kind of capital allocation decisions and things like that so um i'd say yeah, so each of those phases, the, the skills have uh, very much uh, changed and evolved. And I think, uh, you know, the biggest leap is definitely um, from, you know, player to coach uh, because it, it's, it's all about like this, you know, how do you become a good manager? How do you go from like being the one to do the work to instead, you know, motivating, um, you know, uh, kind of setting up the environment and as well as uh you know helping people kind of realize their full potential mm -hmm. like that that's a really hard skill to learn um and i say i still uh you know have a, have a long way to just really master that but uh i say that that comes in you know that's like the day-to-day -day is like you know so much of it is is coaching so much of it is um kind of organizational design um as well as you know thinking about you know the future i think that those are kind of the the main buckets of like the day-to-day -day skills and and yeah they're they're very much learned like you know just having to you know learn from reading and also just talking to other uh you know owners of other businesses and and folks uh you know in similar positions like uh, how they're best leveraging their time um there's it's a constant learning process so it seems like you know you're in the you're in the owner spot now you're in the owner box right you work your way kind of up the transition and the business seems to be humming along pretty good right but there had to be a point maybe it was a long period of time where you were unsure if you were going to be successful right and growth was maybe a challenge what was the tipping point where you were finally like ah okay i think we're good here i think we're going to sustain it happens it happened very gradually um so you know it, it's hard to and you know it, it's it's a small business still right you know we're we're you know as as we're talking now we're we're still you know a little bit under 40 people um and you know revenues have been growing um you know consistently but uh there's there's always challenges uh in, in especially um you know there's there's always you know even even last year with when covid hit there was like you know there were moments where we're like whoa like there's some you know like with a lot of clients kind of, you know, putting stuff on pause and everything, like there's some scary moments where we're like, oh, like, you know, we'll, we'll survive, but you know, at what cost and, yeah. and you know, what's going to happen. So I, I, I you know, we're, we're, there's always a element of, um, I would say paranoia, but you know, just like, we're not, we don't take things for granted, you know, just like, Hey, you know, a lot of things can take a business down. So we just have to be on guard for that. Um, and, but, but I say what, what really helped, uh, what, well, the, the point at which we felt like it was more of a, um, a sustainable uh, business for the long, long term uh, was when we, uh, we realized like, you know, we shifted from like, hey, everything has to be, you know, has to go through, you know, the, the two owner, the two co-founders and like, you know, everything has to be kind of micromanaged to, Hey, like if you put really great people in charge and you can trust them with, uh, you know, these responsibilities um, and, and support them, like great things will happen. And, and just kind of that mindset, which, you know, it sounds so obvious and so easy um, in retrospect, but like, you know, when you're in it, it's, it's really hard to, 
let go sometimes. And so I think uh, once we really bought into that and then, and then, you know, shifted from like, Hey, what can I do to make sure things are running to, Hey, who can we trust to make sure things are running? Mm. Once that switch happened, um, you know, it's, it's been a lot smoother. It's the, the problems that we, you know, um, tack on a day-to-day basis are, are just like, you know, magnitudes more, I think, valuable than, than they were in the past. What do you consider to be the most important problem to work on for an agency owner to ensure that you're running a good business? Yeah. And this, it's, this is like a, a, a subject that I've, you know, continually studying and, you know, and, and there's so many angles to it. Um, I, I think it, it does ultimately, you know, um, it does ultimately, you know, it's a people intensive business and ultimately boils down to the, the people you have on staff. So I, I would say it's, it's, you know, yeah, it's all about who, um, and, um, you know, the, so it's about having the right people in the right place, you know, having a structure where they can succeed mm. and then also having, um, you know, the, the kind of support, whether it's from the, the coaching, the, uh, the, the kind of work assignments that they're uh, given, and as well as uh, the tools, everything, the, like all, all those things to, to get uh, to help that individual um, reach their full potential. I think that's like, that's top of mind always is like, how, do, you know, how do we find the best people? How do we, uh, and then how do we equip them with, you know, or put them in the situation for them to be their best? That's, that's always, uh, you know, trumps anything else, I think. Uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, along with that is, is, are the considerations for like, hey, we have to position ourselves well. We have to, you know, uh, understand what the clients, uh, you know, really value and, and be able to deliver on that. But, but those things typically fall into place once you have good people mm. on the team. Do you encourage in your employees the same kind of level of creativity and prolific publishing that you exhibit yourself? <laughs> um, I mean, it, it's something that um, I try to model more than um, like preach because, sure. uh, and, and you know, there are a few that like if I think um, you know uh, they, there's there's a there's a kind of intrinsic desire in that person, I might want to you know stoke those flames a bit more, just be encouraging in, in that regard. But uh, but really, um, yeah, I've just over the years I've learned like to. I, th- I think, um, you know, I think earlier on, I might've been heavier handed about, Hey, you should do this or you should try that. And like, you know, be, be kind of uh, big on advice giving, but I, I just kind of realized that's not the most productive thing. Like people, you know, will, I think a lot of times, um, at least, you know, I've observed like people will uh, get around to certain things once they've convinced themselves and they've, you know, kind of gotten to gotten around to, uh, believing it's it's their idea which, mm-hmm. which you know it, it ultimately is their idea um that that's when change really happens so all I, I can do is just create the conditions at a very high level like you know like expose them to books that might have certain ideas or you know share things i've written and, and just kind of you know be very um uh, uh subtle subtle with uh, those things uh and then and then you know, sometimes it takes, and, and you know people people uh, do do appreciate and and really you know see see the value in some of the things that I share. I like that approach. 
Do you make your employees subscribe to your email newsletter? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, not, I, no, I mean some some do, uh, but you know, it's yeah. Like I, I was you know I was very shy about it for a long time, but yeah, I'm know, sure. Nowadays, I'll, I'll like if I write something, I'll be like, hey, I just you know wrote about this like BD, you know, like how we qualify, uh, you know, business development. Hey, everyone, read this, check it out. And then like you know, um, some people click through, some people don't, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Tell me the story behind agency docs. <laughs> Well, so it, one thing I really, um, it was, I think it was by the, the guys at Basecamp, they wrote about this some years ago about like this idea of byproduct. So, mm-hmm. you know, whenever, you know, when you have a business, you're, you're always like creating different things. And then, you know, there's, there might be like a byproduct that comes out of it that, you know, is, um, it took like no extra effort, but it's something that if you kind of package it up right, it could be more valuable. And I think, there was a good uh, example of like, I think uh, like, was it, uh, like lumber, like uh, lumber companies, you know, when they like cut wood and stuff, there's like the shavings that come from like when you do the wood and you can take the byproduct of that, the shavings, and then like sell that to I don't know, like uh, as like, uh, you know, pet stores or something, you know, sure. as like uh, as something or feed for animals or whatever. Right. So um, uh, I was I was thinking a lot about like I was always looking for opportunities like what's a byproduct that we have in our um, in our agency and you know one thing um, I was like you know we we create a lot of different deliverables and documents and process docs and stuff and you know um, and I I, I always um, I, I always remember like especially the early days when I was you know when we were like super new to this and, and you know Stewart and I never worked in an agency setting either so we're kind of going in blind a lot of times and I would scour Google for like hey like how do people put together a proposal or how do they how do, what is what is like a what is like a strategy deck look like you know and and I'd be so hungry for that I'd like you know ask people if they could share their company's thing and some people you know like some people might be like hey you can take a peek you know but um let me redact all this stuff and whatever and i'm like all right that's fine super helpful just to see the table content right so that was an idea that was lingering in my mind for a while and then one day i was just like hey um you know like there's shopify now i can like you know and and i have i know like the 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 15 20 like you know um documents I could quickly just like make generic and, and turn into something. Let me just give myself a, give myself a, a couple of days to just do it, you know, actually just one day to like put it up and then and I'll give myself some time to market it and see how it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's how, that was the genesis of it. And it was great. Just repurposing stuff that we already had, obviously, you know, like taking out some of the sensitive aspects of it, but, um, you know, putting together, um, uh, like these docs was also helpful in the sense that it helped me audit some of the things that we were doing internally too. Just like, Hey, maybe we should clean up uh, something like this, uh, you know, this operations checklist or whatever. And, and so um, that, uh, that exercise became good. And, and you know, it was really, um, I, I gave it like a good, like few months of like trying to promote it amongst like agency folks. I even like, all like digital shops and, and like you know sent them some sales emails and things like that and uh you know generated like you know over five figures of revenue um on a you know an info product whatever. so it was basically um you know like uh, all all uh all profit at that point and so uh you know 
just did it but then it, it just kind of you know wasn't it wasn't like a focus of mine uh, mm. at all so I kind of let it it let it just stay up there for um for a few years without much effort um seo would actually drive a few sales every now and then but uh but then more recently i was like oh you know found uh uh you know a, a somebody who who i could team up with and, and run it together and and um yeah we've we've uh gave it a little more effort i started writing a couple of blog posts for it and already you know we've we've had some sales and i'm like huh this is cool like you can just turn it right back on and and you know maybe we can grow into something so that's that's the story of that i, I love the idea of using the byproducts to uh you know to work for you. That's cool. I like that. And I also like the point about, you know, when you're putting out those documents and templates for other people to use, it makes you audit your own processes. I've noticed a few times, like people have asked me like, Hey, give some advice on starting a podcast or whatever. And I have this, this process document that I put together and I always go back through it and say like, Oh, you know what? I'm not quite doing that anymore. Or like, why am I doing this? So it makes me question what I'm doing before I give advice to other people. And, and that helps me to improve. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a useful exercise. Even if you're not going to sell it or give it to people, like you should be periodically auditing the way that you do things, at least the important things. Yeah. Cool. All right. So I'd like to talk about investing, but first I kind of want to jump back to your twenties and kind of hear your financial ride from like graduating college to where you are now. So was that um, kind of like a slow, steady climb? Were there ups and downs? Was there one sp specific event that kind of like gave you exponential growth? What did that journey look like? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I love, uh, you know, I love the topic of personal finances. It's something that just, it's, it's, it's been a, yeah, it's, it's been an enlightening experience, actually. Um, I'd say, you know, right out of the gate, just working in banking was interesting because, uh, you know, you, you, you come out, you know, like basically it's, you know, when you get a bonus and I think, um, you know, it was, it's like, uh, I mean, what was it? It was like an 80 K bonus, let's say. Right. So, you know, you get, you get this bonus and, and for someone one year out of school, it's like, Whoa, that's like, huge money whatever mm. i think uh i did some stupid things i bought like a wine fridge <laughs> or whatever but uh but i also ended up um you know buying my parents a house in atlanta with that money and that was like really cool and like you know they, they were able to live in there for like 10 years and mm. you know this was it all kind of worked out um nicely with that but uh but after that it was like lean because so i really had to live off of you know my um that the, the the savings from the bonus uh for like the next year like really you know was making basically nothing the first year from barrel and then the second year we started paying each other just enough to like cover rent and like basic necessities mm. um and it really inched up like little by little um you know for for a while and you know even like i think five years into it you know it was uh you know say kind would be like man like you know we're, we're making like as much as like you know our employees and in some cases you know by some calculations maybe not that much <laughs> you know like what, what are we doing um uh but uh you know as as the business grew we were able to continue to rack that uh, you know kind of raise give ourselves raises um but where where things uh really um changed was when we started um you know we adopted this uh 
uh, financial kind of, uh, you know, approach called Profit First. It's a book by this guy, Michael Michalowicz. Um, and it, it's uh, that, um, you know, the, the, it was like the idea of like, hey, you know, just uh, pay yourself um, based on like how much money you collect every two weeks. And then also just put aside some amount for profit, even if it's like minimal, just put it and then every quarter just pay yourself out. Mm-hmm. So we just, we started doing that at a smaller percentage and every year we just raise it up little by little and over time it became you know a good good amount and and so that really started to change kind of like how uh, you know it went from so so really it it went from like hey when will you know this will one day be something that um you know will be better than um you know having a job at a you know a fancy corporate job or something like we, we would always be like hey you know one day we'll make enough to do that to like getting to a point where like, okay, like we're getting compensated as somebody who's taking the risk of, you know, running an agency. So that transition took a good, you know, over a decade to get there. But Mm -hmm. um, along the way, it was great. Like just, you know, going from like, you know, paycheck to paycheck kind of living to, Hey, I can put aside a few hundred bucks, uh, you know, into my um, savings account or, to then being like, hey, I actually have enough cash to pay down my entire student loan at, at this point. And then, and then to the point, hey, I, actually, I should start to invest this because it's just sit, cash sitting in the bank. Um, so that, that transformation, uh, you know, once, once we got, uh, got to that level and you now I, I really, um, that's when investing became, you know, an option because now it's like, oh, there is some surplus uh, funds that I can put towards something. Um, what, what could that be? And uh, and you know I, this, you know the I, I sigh a little bit because there's like some regret in like how I yeah, kind of deployed those funds uh, early on. Um, you know, like at, at the of course in hindsight it, it's easy to uh, criticize, but at the time I was like, you know, I come across this um, blog called Dividend Mantra, and mm-hmm. like this guy would like write about you know like buying all these quality dividend stocks, um, high yield dividend stocks, uh, and. You know, a lot of them were like Philip Morris, like McDonald's and Coca-Cola, like, you know, just like kind of the, the, the big brand names, um, as well as like a lot of uh, like oil, um, gas and oil companies, um, so like BP, um, you know, uh, Exxon, Mobil, things like that. So I'd, uh, <laughs> I, I love the idea of like, oh, cool, like you own pieces of these companies and you get like, a, you know, if you buy a hundred bucks worth, you get like three bucks every year. That's cool, you know, and, and like, and then you take the three bucks and then you could reinvest it and it just becomes a snowball or, or you could take all the dividends and buy stock in another company. And then that becomes a snowball and it's like a cash machine and it's awesome. And like, it's got really got into that. Um, but then like, you know, it was like, I, I, I think I was like sloppy about it because I, I kind of got obsessed with like dividend yield numbers and I would just mm. look at whoever was paying the highest dividend yield. I didn't quite understand that. Like, Oh, like there's, you know, there's risk associated, like the, the higher the dividend, there's probably something kind of fishy with it, or there's something, you know, depressed about the stock price, or, and there's a reason why, whatever it is, and the prospects are good. No matter, I would buy, like, end up buying, like, uh, <laughs> commercial, uh, like, real estate kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, like, REIT stocks that, yeah. that were, like, paying, like, 8%. Oh, this is awesome, you know, without really understanding, um, you know, how that was going to pay off, um, or how that's going to do in the long run. Um, so, you know, just was, was, was a bit lazy on it, but just kept doing it. And along the way, I'm like, oh, cool. Let me put a few hundred bucks into, you know, or a few thousand bucks into like a, a Netflix or an Amazon, you know, just, mm. just along the way too. 
Um, and, and of course, like those bets, you know, done like six, seven years ago have done well. <laughs> but like the the one, but then the div stocks, you know, at a certain point, I'm like, wow, they're like, you know, um, the dividends are getting cut and then these aren't, uh, they aren't getting more valuable. They're actually getting, uh, the, the stocks are tanking. So the, the, that was, you know, that really um, was kind of the start of like, you know, wanting to getting my feet wet with investing, but then realizing there's a large knowledge gap there. Yeah. 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 That's, that's something that I'm really <laughs> continuing to realize all the time, you know, like this past year, it's a good year, right? Like you and I, I think both did well in the market, but then I have to remind myself, like, I don't really know what the hell I'm doing. And it was just a good year. And I kind of got a little bit lucky. So I, I kind of want to try transition into talking about that now, because to give listeners some context, investing was one of the big things that you and I first connected over. And it's probably what we still talk about the most. And you and I and one other friend purchased a Motley Fool product on small cap stocks and started investing in those companies. I think you and I did it a little bit differently. The way I did it was I took 26 of the companies, spread the money evenly across them and have kind of tracked it very closely. I think you just picked and chose a, a few of them. Is that right? Yeah. I, 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 um, and, and this is also like, uh, I was a bit more impulsive and I was um, sitting on, um, I just wanted to deploy a lot of cash as, much, yeah. as quickly as possible just because we had sold uh, our, our condo and, and just was sitting on some funds. So that was also another reason. So have you tracked those companies specifically from the small cap information that we got? Um, you know, not as um, diligently because what happened was, um, you know, the like, over time, I, you know, with some of these positions, I was just like, hey, like, I like the companies, the more I learn about them, I'm going to double down, increase my position. And so it's, it's all uneven. I, I didn't take as a, as a disciplined uh, route as you did. Okay. I'd be interested if at some point you go back and figure it out, it'd be really cool to know what your return is. Because as of Friday, uh, my return on those 26 companies is 90%. And that's mm -hmm. since May of 2020. Um, and out of the 26, only one of them is negative right now, which I think is remarkable. And I just want to highlight, this is not my competence. This, this is the picks of other people that I've just right. been able to execute on. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's worked out really well. So one of the things that you've told me about before that I found really interesting was how your investing strategy is informed actually by your business. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> one thing. Of uh, you know, throughout the years, it's like uh, you know, as 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 we're in the business, you know, um, and at Barrel, my uh, my partners. So you know, since actually, uh, just to uh, talk about my partners for a second, um, you know, Seawick and I are the co-founders, and then over time, we promoted um, and made two two of the our employees into partners as well. So it's Lucas and Wes. So the four of us, you know, we're, we're, we talk a lot about um, you know the. The business but also just kind of things happening in in our world uh and you know one thing we'd always kind of talk about the tools that we use at work and you know kind of uh in many ways like we're, we're on the cutting edge of things like we have to you know work with a lot of like uh cloud providers or like you know team productivity tools and and we're we're fairly early adopters to a lot of these things and so uh, um you know we'd be like even you know even like six, seven years ago, like pre-IPO, way before IPO, like we, we'd be using Jira and like, we talk about, hey, like Jira is, you know, uh, and this is a product by Atlassian, it's like an issue tracking tool. And 
it's like you know we we'd see like clients kind of adopt jira on mass and like the, the kind of uh the stickiness of the product and just you know how how that evolved and all those things and you know it, it like it I think we would say something like, oh, should we get like, you know, like, oh, wish we could uh, buy stock in, uh, you know, Alassian. And of course, like at the time we didn't pull the trigger because <laughs> you know, like we just talk about it um, or something like Shopify. You know, like we've been working with Shopify since 2009, like way back in the day. And, you know, when an IPO, it was like it was it was, you know, it was kind of middling around in, in like the the teens or the 30s or something super low and Man. like, you know, like. <laughs> But then, you know, even then, like, you know, when it was in the 90s, I, I, we're finally like, hey, like, you should buy some. And, and, and you know, luckily, I, I did grab some. But, like, um, I think just enough of that. Like, you know, the names are endless. You know, there's Cloudflare. You know, there's, like, things like uh, even Adobe, uh, you know, Microsoft, all the things. And so, yeah, I ended up writing a blog post about, like, what if we had invested? Like, what if we had taken the money that we paid in licenses? You know, like, we pay thousands of dollars to you know microsoft and adobe for you know uh, for access to software even uh, uh for jira for slack all those things and if we had bought stock in these companies that we paid them uh as well like you know how, how would they have done and, and you know just the returns would have been amazing and and so um you know, just i really uh resolved to like being like hey you know what like instead of um uh, you know wishing woulda shoulda coulda like let's Let's start, you know, acting on on these convictions, you know, and and be really thoughtful about like the the types of uh, products that we use and and see them as investment opportunities as well. So that that's uh, that's been really cool and it's informed, you know, kind of the way that we've looked at some of the things. Like you know, and some of the investments might be like Smartsheet. Like we use Smartsheet every day. Um, don't love the, the product, but like it's it is super sticky. Like it's it's something that is like you know like is something that would be really hard to let go and and just seeing the way that um you know different companies use the product uh mm -hmm. i'm like wow like you know the the growth of that is is uh really understandable and we can see and, and just it, it once i you know once we think about a um or once i look at a uh, a company that we've used uh, as customers and want to explore further it, it gives me a nice lens into like i i, I understand like you know um, a lot of like what they mean when they talk about like retention and just kind of expanding the services to, uh, uh, with uh, customers or going more enterprise and things like that. It's it just a lot more intuitive and um, easy to understand versus like, you know, in, if I was in an area trying to invest in something I was completely clueless about, I mm. think, you know, I wouldn't feel as comfortable. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's that old adage, invest in what you know, right? Invest in what you use. So you've uh, really applied that and it's pretty cool. So you had an interesting piece about how you invested the about $300,000, I think it was, you made from selling your apartment and a couple other things in early 2020. Can you talk me through your thinking and, and just kind of how you invested that? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the big takeaway was like, hey, it wasn't nearly, you know, systematic enough. And uh, that, was, that was a big, that was probably the biggest takeaway was like, hey, could have been, um, you know, it was really, it was really a, a great learning experience in the sense of like I went up a lot of alleys that you know were kind of um, maybe you know in hindsight I would have uh, been less impulsive with some buys, and mm -hmm. then with with others I would have uh, you know just been uh, been a little more uh, uh, a little bit more aggressive. I should I should have like you know followed my convictions and put more in. So you know I think um, 
the cool thing about it was just you know sitting on <clears throat> just you know sitting on capital and just you know with a uh, desire to deploy it um there's a lot of reps like compressed reps and that was the cool part of it is like hey like it, you know i to be able to trade um you know in a you know uh, eight ten month span like more than i've done in the, <laughs> for for my entire life like you know what can i learn within that and it was like that compressed learning was really cool um because then i can see you know you know i i'd say the the one minus was that it was a in a really you know kind of unusual year in the mm -hmm. sense that like you know covid kind of accelerated the growth of a lot of uh stocks that i was invested in so you know, gonna give some throw off some kind of like uh, you know false sense of <laughs> achievement maybe right. um but, but then at the same time like like it, there's also a lot of interest and materials and you know kind of research that was out there on a lot of the the things that I was interested in any would have been interested in anyway, which is a lot of digital you know connectivity kind of like things that um, were accelerated by COVID. So I think it, it, just trying to make the best of that situation with it, and then um, I, I would say uh, like it was a battle of like you know a like the stuff that I really you know. Um, care about investing in which is like the digital um stuff like the com digital commerce um or uh you know just team productivity um or uh like digital payments and mm -hmm. things like that like there are things that i want i want to really uh lean to there or cloud infrastructure that's the other one but i also want to be conservative uh, like somewhat conservative with some of my funds which is like hey um i don't know how much of this stuff is being like inflated by hype or like just you know folks just kind of uh getting exuberant you know dot com bubble style so how do i offset that with you know more prudent buy so that's where like a berkshire uh buy comes in or even i'd say even something like a new york times i, I bought mm. uh shares in that like i you know i was thinking like okay that it's 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 not as hyped up as some of these other um stocks so uh, trying to balance that so that would that kind of depressed like so if i had put all the money into the the hot companies maybe like today like the returns wouldn't look more fantastic but then i, I was also trying to be you know like a bit hedged in that sense of like you know just having some eggs in a different basket so sure. that that would uh, limited some of my upside yeah i think it's easy to look back on a good year and say i should have been more aggressive but in reality you probably played it exactly like you should have but what would you do in the future because you mentioned you weren't deliberate enough what would you be what would you do to be more deliberate yeah you know i think um so the system that kind of evolved or came out of like this experience was uh, like you know first like write stuff down um and and one one is like okay if there's a company that's kind of catching my attention and i haven't invested in it and i want to um or there are um companies that i already invest but i, I might want to increase my position in it like just put it down put it on my watch list um and then you know just jot down some thoughts on why i think it's compelling and what what i should look for and then you know maybe i might even start to think about hey at what price should i what i want to enter yeah. um if 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 i want to you know really go go to that amount uh you know if i think there's there's a some kind of price that's uh that's reasonable um so put that in place and then i also um you know started uh sharing my um stuff on on my website like mm -hmm. just kind of the, the buys i did but one thing um i, I want to do is uh 
and I just published a blog post about it, like just called like a series called Recent Buys. So every time I buy stocks, I'll I want to write about it and then just kind of jot the reasons at like my thinking at the time, like what influenced me to buy it and and, and what price did I get enter. Um, so that way there's a bit of an accountability and I can look back and be like, hey, that was really dumb to think that way when I bought it. Or mm. oh yeah, like that made a lot of sense. You know, maybe I can learn from learn from my notes in the future. So um that just building out that habit of like just uh you know writing it down and then you know once i and then actually writing it down is great because once that happens um there's like a confirmation that well it's almost like a, a like a filtering kind of effect where you know the the stuff as i see twitter or listen to podcasts the the company that I wrote down starts to pop up more often oh in, yeah, in my, yeah uh in my field of vision so I just end up consuming a lot more content about it. And, and there is a bit of a confirmation bias going on that like, I wrote it down, I, I wanna invest in this. So I'm gonna latch on to stuff where like, it, it talks positively about you know, that company to give me more reason to buy it. Sure. Uh, but actually just, just being attuned to it, actually sometimes I've been dissuaded and been like, okay, you know what, actually this is not um, you know, as promising as I thought, or maybe this is something, you know, there's a better use uh, for my funds than this particular stock. So it, it's been a mixed bag there, but at least the the system is there to give me an opportunity to go deeper than I normally would have. Yeah, I like that a lot, that the practice of decision journaling is super valuable. And I've been trying to do that a little bit more with my investments, but I've not even come close to the extent to which you do it. I did it with like crypto and a couple other decisions that I made where like, like in my 401k, I have most of it is in a fund, right? But then some of it is in individual stocks. And what I try to do with that is pick the ones that I think are going to go up. Good companies, right? That I want to hold long term, but that I know are volatile in the short term. And then I'll buy them where they're low, sell them where they're high and try to rebuy them when they're low again. And I've only done that with a couple because I thought they were going to move. And this is like not my investing strategy at all, but it's like a little bit of money that I wanted to play with. So I try to write down those decisions when yeah. I do them to see if they play out the way that I thought they were going to. Nice. So speaking of your, your recent buys series, I think the one you just published, you talked about Stitch Fix. Man, did you buy that at the right time? <laughs> <laughs> you saw it on Friday, right? Yeah, I know. It just, uh, you know, like I try not to pay too much attention to it. It's, like, it, it's um, just because I'm like, yeah, it, it did pop, but then like I didn't, you know, it doesn't really matter at this point because, yeah. you know, with, with my purchases, I you know I do, I do really intend to hold for the long term, and sure. it's really a, a a bet that's you know hopefully five ten years uh, plus of a hold if 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 you know if not longer. So mm. you know I, I, it almost worries me that like some of these kind of you know like it's better not to look. That's actually yeah, <laughs> what yeah, I'm yeah. saying if I really believe it. And the, and 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 the thing that I'll be looking out for is though like you know as they like how how are they improving the the customer experience you know what innovations are they rolling out and also you know what are they um what are the fundamentals of the business uh looking like uh you know from year to year um that's that's gonna be more interesting to me than you know the fluctuations of the stock price which i you know there's <laughs> i mean part of a lot a lot of the pop came from like there's a like a short squeezer you know and it's just kind of it's not um yeah, it, it wasn't even uh, like anything to do with like news about the company, which is, you know. No, no, I think there was an analyst uh, price target upgrade. That but, too, yeah. 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 Um, but the reason I brought up Stitch Fix is because in that piece, you had a really interesting prediction about what you think they could turn into. Can you 
talk about that a little bit? I mean, this is like the inkling that, you know, I kind of pieced together from just hearing some podcasts and, you know, uh, kind of reading Twitter. But yeah, one, one thing that is interesting is, is the, the fact that they're, um, you know, the way that they're uh, approaching commerce um, in, in such a, uh, you know, say, you know, you use the term, but almost like a first principles way, right? Because it's, it's like they're not, you know, they're, they're, they really um, had to think about the end-to-end experience of a product that is destined to be returned for the mm. most part. And also one that, um, you know, just needs to operate, you know, as smoothly as possible, you know, just kind of not um, accepting the, the, the fact that, um, you know, commerce is, it fluctuates up and down based on demand and, and can like kill fulfillment uh, in, in some way. So just like, I love the way they thought that. And, and it's almost like, hey, at some point, can they, yeah, become like, uh, you know, the way that Amazon with their, um, you know, AWS or their, um, you know, the way they've kind of did the fulfilled by Amazon and mm-hmm. then lent that out, you know, get, provide that as a service to other um, businesses. Could Stitch Fix be more of that kind of a play, like a more, uh, more powered by Stitch Fix uh, kind of infrastructures play um, and, you know, or platform as a service or something like that. So, you know, that was, I was like, you know, that to me, I was like, huh, that, that's a bigger kind of opportunity and a sexier opportunity from an investor's sure, perspective. Yeah. So, so it was just something that, uh, you know, start was, was something that uh, I thought could be a possibility and just worth, uh, you know, hoping for, you know, especially if I'm in it for the long run. Yeah, it's it's a cool idea, and that's that's why I asked you about it so we can get it on recording. So if it happens, <laughs> you said it first. <laughs> so I know you hold a little bit of crypto. Why do you why do you do that? Why do you invest in crypto? Uh, yeah. Um. Well, it, it's. I mean, let's see. You know, I really got into it. Um, in like was it 2016, 2017, You know, just think just like a lot of folks the the initial hype was kind of part of it but um you know just kind of fun to be there for the ride <laughs> to be honest it was like it was like a casino high um but over time just like you know i i um i kind of thought of it the more i learned about it and the more i was like okay it's you know in many ways if, if it's kind of like a store of value gold style you know uh there and, and there's this you know human kind of collective uh, faith or belief in, in, in the, the value of this thing and the, and the scarcity of it. Um, maybe it's worth, you know, putting some, uh, amount of, uh, you know, my assets into there. Um, so, so then I, I just, you know, over, um, so especially earlier, um, in 2020, um, uh, when it was down, uh, the price was like, you know, was it under 10 K right. Um, for Bitcoin. Yeah. I think of- it, got down to like four, 3,500. Yeah. Like around there, I, I kind of doubled down on, on it um, a bit just from the, the small holdings I had. And then, um, and then I just put it on like a auto recurring purchase every mm. month um, just to keep going. And, and that's, yeah, now, um, yeah, that's kind of just added up uh, as, as prices have gone up. Um, but you know, it's more than anything. It's uh yeah, it's just another alternative asset to just store stuff. But, you know, obviously I'm not like looking to strike it rich with that. It's yeah. more like, hey, it's maybe, maybe, you know, maybe the things about inflation or like this, you know, this idea of like, hey, the the instability of the monetary system, you know, if those things come to pass, which, you know, is uh, 
is debatable. Like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's some, there's some measure of uh, hedging there. So how do you think about it in terms of like allocation as a percentage of your net worth? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable if it's like in that kind of one to 2%. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, and, um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, you know, I've, I've increased my amounts in that as like, like the, as the market has done well and like yeah. the, the overall pie has grown bigger, like, uh, you know, I felt more, uh, okay about like just adding a bit more to crypto. Mm, yeah. Uh, I like that. I think, I think at my cost basis, I had about four to 5% of my net worth in it. It's probably grown a little bit because the growth of crypto has outpaced some of the other mm, growth. Right. But yeah, I think that's, for me, that was, that's where I was comfortable. All right, let's change gears a little bit here. So you've been a dad for a couple of years now, right? Or yep. almost a couple of years. <laughs> and, yeah, a couple of years. Yep. Um, yeah, you just turned two earlier this month. And you're expecting another one this year? Yeah, in, uh, in, in March. So. Oh, man, congrats. That's exciting. Thank you. So Thank what, you. Are, what are some of the most important lessons you've learned about being a dad? Yeah, um, so I'd say um, <laughs> the first and foremost is like, you know, collaboration with, uh, with the spouse. So I think that, um, that's, that's huge. Like it's, 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 you know, in many ways, like parenting is a, uh, is, is a logistics is exercise in like logistics planning and, um, and the communication. Um, and you know, the, the more, um, here too, like the, the more systems you can have in place, the, the more upfront planning you can have, the more routines you can have in place, it's like things will run more smoothly. Um, and so, uh, you know, I credit, I credit my wife because uh, she's done so, like she's done a tremendous job of kind of setting things up to mm. be super, you know, kind of, you know, like systematic. Like, you know, we used to start with like written schedules for everything and, and just, you know, logging, feeding time so that we can get a good routine going. But now it's like, you know, just having everything um, thought through in advance has been huge. Um, and, and, you know, for me, uh, like it's, it's also um, understanding what my role and my part needs to be in, in, within this team, which is like, I am clearly a role player because, uh, <laughs> you know, my, my wife is the, is the commander and, you know, she's, she's you know, kind of driving a lot of uh, ideas, but then, you know, just being like being there to, you know, on the dime to like do what needs to be done and, and, and be supportive where I can. And then, um, and then the, the other big, big part is, is um, having like every day, just got to bring the energy. Um, and so it's what, you know, for me that what that has meant is like, you know, sleep has to be, you know, top of my, like good sleep has to be, you know, um, a big thing so that when I wake up the, in the morning and, 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 you know, play with my son, like just, I can, I can have, I can be recharged. I can be ready to go. I can, you know, um, be there to, you know, be fully present with them. And mm -hmm. then, and then also physical fitness, because like, you know, it, being a dad, it's a super physical uh, uh, experience where, you know, I was just joking to a friend where it's like, I'm like, you know, it's literally like a, you know, hundred plus like kettlebell swings and, you know, <laughs> kind of like snatches uh, every day and, and it gets heavier, you know, each, <laughs> each month, basically <laughs> a little bit. Um, and so that, um, that's meant like, you know, I, I take training a lot more seriously because I'm like, this is going to help me be a better dad because you know, now, you know, 
make sure that you know I can pick them up. I can you know run around with him. I can you know do the things that will will uh, make him happy and make me happy and all those things. And so uh, I'd say I'd say like those those are kind of the keys that, that I've always taken out. Know, uh, just reiterated on a daily basis. Yeah. Do you have any tips for like staying healthy and continuing to learn and being efficient at work? and write, you know, all the stuff that you like to do, how have you been able to maintain that, you know, and balance it with the responsibility of having children? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think I'm not going to pretend to have all, all the answers because once, uh, uh you know, uh, kid number two comes, I, I, you know, I don't, I'm sure it's going to be a whole new, um, ball game and, and a different challenge altogether. Mm. Um, I'd say what has worked for me is, um, to a large degree, though, it, it's uh, it's about like ma- managing my own expectations and understanding that, like, I you know I need to be super fluid and flexible with my um, the expectations of how time is going to go. Um, mm-hmm. So, what I mean by that is like, you know, the it, it it happens gradually, but it does happen where routines like will shift, and I can't get um comfortable with like thinking that I, i'll always have time to do xyz things so uh, an example is you know my my son used to take two naps and so during those two naps i could fit in you know you know some kind of activity during nap one and then like maybe go for like a run on nap two and then over time when that like evolved to nap one uh just one nap i mean uh, like i then i had to make start making choices i'm like okay like on saturday when he naps I'm going to have to, uh, you know, that's when I'll get my run in. And then on the Sunday nap, that's when I'll get my writing or reading in or whatever. Um, and so just constantly having to make these adjustments um, and not being frustrated about it, just like yeah. accepting that that's going to happen, but then trying to make the best of those. And, and now like, you know, I, I've, I've even kind of come to like see it as a game, like, okay, what's going to change next? And maybe like I can, you know, like uh, get in, get in something for myself while also, you know, hanging. So one, one thing that I figured out more recently, like this has happened in the last like couple months is he has like a specific routine in the morning now where he'll play. Um, he'll always want to go outside. Like even if it's freezing on a day like today, he'll, he wants to hang outside for, you know, a good 20, 30 minutes. Um, and I, I have to be there outside with him, but he's, you know, playing with his uh, toys and stuff out there. Uh, but I'm like, I can't get a workout in while he's doing that. It's, 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 you know, it's an open space. So I'll like, as soon as he goes up there, I'll like, I'll, I'll make sure I'm changing to my uh, workout gear. I'll, I'll bring him outside. And then while he's playing, I'll like lift dumbbells, I'll do jump rope or whatever. And then I'll fit in a, a complete workout just in time for him to like put his stuff down and, you know, ask for breakfast. So that that's like, once again, it was just kind of like, you know, I can, you know, I can complain I don't have enough time, blah, blah, blah. But then I'm like, if, you, if, if I make it more of a, a game, then, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of time, uh, a lot of opportunities to, like, fit in the things I want to do. Love that. All right. I want to jump a little bit back because this question is going to feel out of place here, but it's an important one. What are some of the things you cared about in your 20s that ended up not mattering in your 30s? Yeah. I mean, I think... Um, a big part of my 20s was uh, you know, just the, the, especially living in New York City, right? It's the it's kind of having that vibrant, like, social life. Um, um, and, and, you know, that, that meant, like, you know, 
you know, trying to go out, you know, at least like two, if not three, maybe sometimes even four or five times a week um, for various things. So some might be like, hey, like, uh, you know, work-related happy hours or um, just industry type of events, networking events. Uh, and on top of that, like, yeah, you know, mentioned being a film major, like going to the, uh, the screening of the latest, like, you know, artsy film. And then also like dining at like the best uh, or like the coolest restaurants that was in, in the New York Times or whatever. Like those, those things dominated kind of, you know, a lot of uh, my planning, of course, not having uh, kids uh, was also a big factor too at the time, but like that was huge in my twenties. Like it was like disposable income actually, you know, like, but wasn't buying dividend stocks. I was probably just <laughs> using, uh, using it to just dine out, right? Um, and, and so nowadays it's like, I mean, obviously there's a pandemic, but even pre-pandemic, I had really cut out a ton of that where, you know, the, the most going out was maybe, you know, once a month with my wife to a restaurant nearby or whatever. Um, but other than that, it was like, like, you know, bath time <laughs> with my son became sacred and like, you know, just kind of being home as soon as possible after work became more important. And, and, and so I'd say, uh, but it started to taper off even, um, you know, as, as I enter my thirties, because, you know, things like getting a workout in after work or, or like just, you know, having, you know, getting to not going to bed, like after having, you know, too many drinks uh, at a at happy hour or whatever, like th that stuff started to become less and less appealing. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, some, it's not something I regret because, you know, there were some really good times and, sure. you know, memorable stuff, but just it doesn't matter as much. So there's that. And then I'd say the other one is um, definitely like this idea of like measuring myself relative to the success of others. So that mm. was like a big thing. So, you know, we, we talked about kind of like what drives and motivates. Uh, but I, I think in my 20s, it was more externally facing and it was like, oh, you see that founder or you see that, you know, person who has a startup that raised money or whatever like it's just kind of this idea of like always measuring myself or like against others and yeah that that never like in hindsight it's like it never put me in a good place and it was like it was probably a waste of energy um so glad that's no longer uh, uh something that enters my mind and, and lastly it's um i say this idea of like working late and putting in long hours for work like I, you know i think just coming out of um like even high school, college, even through like banking, like just this idea of like long hours, you know, putting in grinding, like putting in the effort, that's how you get to be successful. That's how you win. Like total, I think, um, I saw it more as like, oh, that, that's not the right way to think about it. It's more about how do you work smart? How do you bring, you know, the, the most kind of freshest and most energized version of yourself and be intense in the, in the amount of time you have and, and get the most out of it. So that really alter from my 20s to 30s where i would stay at the office you know regularly till eight nine mm. maybe longer uh in my 20s but now it's like you know like now it's six o'clock 6 30 it's like you know it, it's time to time to hang with family dinner with family and things like that so using this same kind of lens looking forward what are some of the things you care about now that you don't you might not care about in your 40s yeah um hmm well, you know, it, it's probably more, um, yeah, there's probably aspects of like the, the business that like, you know, um, that I, I think continually take up my mind, um, even 
outside of work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, right now where, where I'm sitting today, I think that's a good thing. Cause like, you know, it's like, Oh, like I'm, I'm constantly, um, you know, like, uh, trying to be creative and thinking about, uh, trying to be forward looking for the business and, and, and just letting things marinate. But, but I can see something like that later being like, Hey, like I've learned to actually like let go of that and, right. and be more expansive and, and be more, even more present with other things. Um, and, and, and give myself the space to, to take on other interests and things like that. So I think that might be a, a big one for, for beyond my thirties. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, Peter, let me hit you with a few rapid fire questions and then we'll get out of here. Right. What advice would you give to a smart driven college student about to graduate? Think about um, your, where you really want to be in the future um, and um, continue to revisit that. Um, over and over again. So I, I, that I think um, I, I really, you know, I, I wish that was one advice I just kind of um, really uh, had for when I was younger. Because um, when I think about a useful exercise, always is like this idea of like um, and my, uh, a desired future state mm. for myself, and then and, and being able to be as specific and descriptive about like, hey. You know, what does that mean for me professionally? What does that mean for my relationships? What does that mean for, you know, like where, where, like my living situation, all those things, like building the muscle to do that continually, you know, whether you visit it every, you know, uh, every quarter or every, every year, like it's it's super valuable because then as, as your values change, as things that, you know, uh, as, as your exposure to the world changes and your outlook on, on life changes, um, that will surely evolve too, but it's such a great way to recalibrate and then, and set that from that stems the goals and the, the behaviors that make those things come true. That's great advice. What is a favorite mental model you use for decision making? Oh, goodness. Um, so, man, I can go all day about this, but I really, um, I say that with, you know, the thing that uh, really blew my mind and, and like I still think about almost every day after having read this book is, is uh, The Fifth uh, Discipline. Um, it's by uh, uh, Peter Senji. Um, and uh, this, it's, it's all about like systems thinking. Um, but uh, there, there's a lot um, there with like, you know, it's this idea that um, when, you know this the everything you know there's <laughs> systems are complex there are many factors and like you know there's there's no like one easy way to fix something mm-hmm. uh and especially you know uh, like especially when i think about like, organizations uh but you know you can think about it with governments you could think about it with um you know even uh kind of family relationships right it's like there's not like a like there's no such thing as like hey if you if you fix this one thing everything's going to be okay it's it's there's so many kind of layers of, uh, you know, kind of interdependencies and things that uh, make it difficult to, to precisely point out what's wrong or why some things are working the way they do. Um, and, you know, this same is with our bodies and organisms right. and things like that, right? So, um, so really, you know, embracing the idea of like systems thinking and like the idea of like that complex systems uh, are, are not something to, to kind of easily be manipulated, but it, 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 there, are, there are kind of other ways to 
study them and, and maybe understand parts that you can influence. And, and, and through that, you can bring out like certain aspects of change. Uh, that's opened my eyes to, um, and also in, in a very, it's humbled me in a big way to like being like, okay, when I think about problems at work, you know, the, there it's, it's I, I dismiss kind of the ideas, you know, that come to my, my mind of like, oh, if only this was different, then mm. this would be fine. Like, no, there's, there's probably, you know, multiple factors kind of contributing to this that are, you know, interlocking in different ways. Now, how do I do my best to try to understand that? And then from that perspective, you know, start to kind of, uh, you know, disassemble or like kind of replace certain things that might be impacting um, areas more than others. So that, and, and the book goes into like, you know, various, um, topics around kind of the systems thinking that that has been super influential as a as a mental model for me all right on the lighter side who is your favorite twitter follow oh boy um let's see so you know one thing i, I do have to know like i i've curbed my uh twitter consumption quite oh yeah I, I did see that <laughs> um but um let's see i you know i there's um what's uh there's a there's one i think it's 10k diver was it um that uh, mm. uh who does these uh oh my goodness like the the concepts like hey um like the grab a cup of coffee because we're gonna explore xyz topics um and you know they've done some really cool stuff on like all kinds of like investment topics and other things the, they do these like mega threads um and I think like the most recent one was like path dependence, which was like really cool. But um, yeah, that, that, that's probably my favorite Twitter follow just cause like every time um, 10K Diver um, like puts out one of these mega threads on investing or just kind of like uh, business concepts. Uh, I, always, I always learn so much from it. That's awesome. I'm not following that one. This has become one of my favorite questions to ask cause I always pick up a good new person to throw my, uh, throw my Twitter. All right, we'll wrap it up with this one. What is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? Ah, um, you know, I, I have to, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, the, the one that always comes to mind, and it's crazy because I'm like, I know I'm going to um, have to experience this myself one day, uh, is so <laughs> when I was really young, and this is probably one of my first uh, childhood memories, actually. Um, must have been like maybe three or four. I'm not sure, but I was I was um I was sitting in the toilet. Um, you know, I was I was like you know I was pooping, but I was playing with my Legos because <laughs> I was like obsessed with Legos, and I dropped my Legos into the toilet. <laughs> and then you know, and then and then my my grandmother who um uh, you know who lived with us, you know, and I just remember like running into her crying, and you know she just came like no problem just hands just right into it i just picked up the piece of lego and you know obviously washed it and clean, you know just sanitized it and stuff and gave it to me and it just it just stuck with me like the the even at that young age it was just like the like no like hesitation no like oh what did you do or, or oh like you know look what you did or nothing like that it was just like like pure like you know unconditional love you know it was like manifested in in, in that kind of action um it just like it stayed with me forever because i'm just like goodness you know and, and i could um 
but but it, it just the, the image of it um you know and it's something so mundane everyday kind of thing but but that that really was it was kind of the um you know it was just one out one moment um in, in just kind of a long period of just my grandmother just was you know such a loving and uh you know caring person who just you know just constantly showered me with like you know um kind of the the encouragement and support that like you know helped help me keep my confidence you know throughout uh throughout my life. of that grandmothers are the best yeah. all right peter uh where can people find you if they want to continue the conversation read your writing your newsletter which is one of the only ones that i read every week it's very good oh, appreciate it um yeah uh my website is peterkang.com um so and my newsletter is uh, consumed created um and that's uh, the sign up is available on the site and then on twitter i'm peterkang34 all right Peter, thanks for coming on, man. This was a blast. I had a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, Joe. Have a good one, man. Thanks for spending your time listening to the show. If you have any questions, comments, or further topics for discussion, shoot me a message on Twitter at Joseph C. Wells. I'd love to hear from you. And make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter, The Lake Street Journal, at josephcwells.com. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening.